passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. It is a, it's a privilege to get to open God's Word with you this morning, and um, that's what we're going to do now. Uh, we're going to be in Mark, Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. And um, if, you, if you were here last week and, and you remember something I might have said in the benediction, I said that we were going to be looking at Jonah. Obviously, Mark is not Jonah. Um, I, I didn't forget that. I just changed my mind. Um, in your bulletin, <laughs> that sounds bad. Um, in your bulletin, you'll notice that... Um, in a couple weeks, I'll be headed to, to Liberia, and I'll do some teaching there. And uh, I realized I got to this point where I just had too many things on my plate, and something had to give. And so this is actually a sermon that I'll be um, preaching in Liberia in a couple weeks. So um, I just decided to double up, um, and that's what we're going to be doing this morning. So uh, Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. Please follow along as I read aloud. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples... He, Jesus, said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let's pray. Father, as we approach this text this morning, I do so very, very aware of all the times that I do not deny myself, where I don't take up my cross, where I opt not to follow you and your will. And as we stand before this text, God, I, I first just ask for forgiveness. God, I ask that you would help us to be a people who hear these words. And though they may, may lead to the death of our flesh, God, that they would cause us to cling to the one who can give us life. Thank you, Father, for your word. We ask that you would speak to us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On January 8th, 1956, Jim Elliott and four other American missionaries were killed in Ecuador while trying to bring the gospel to this group of indigenous people who had not yet heard the gospel, and their deaths became this stark reminder of the words that we just read here in Mark chapter 8, of the, the great cost that comes with following Jesus. The cost that Jesus asks us to take as we bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And about six and a half years before that moment, Jim Elliott wrote these simple and yet deeply profound words in his journal as a college student at Wheaton College. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. 
Those words, which were written by a college student in 1949, have been memorialized because just a few short years later, Elliot and his fellow missionaries, they took this call of discipleship so seriously, this call to deny themselves, to take up their cross and follow Jesus so seriously that it led to their death. And these words, I think, are, are some of the, the best words that you can use to, to summarize this morning's passage. This morning's passage is a radical call to follow Jesus. Another 20th century martyr, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, talking about what does it mean to follow Jesus, says to, when Christ calls a man or a woman, Christ bids them to come and die. The call of the gospel is a call to come and die. It is a costly call. It will cost you your life. And for some people, that might be literal, but most likely not. For all of us, however, it is a call to come and die to self as we follow Jesus. The call of the gospel is a costly one. It asks you to die to yourself each and every day. And yet, as Eliot's words helpfully put this thing into perspective, it's not foolish. In fact, it's, it's not even radical as much as it is just plain smart to give up what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. This morning's passage comes right after Jesus has revealed to his disciples that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, he is the long-awaited chosen king of God's kingdom who will establish God's reign forever. Mark chapter 8 is the high point of Mark's gospel. Verses 27 through 30, the apostle Peter and the disciples are asked by Jesus, who am I? Notice how Mark describes this moment. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Jesus' response here as he commands his disciples to silence reveals that Peter is correct, that Peter has gotten the, wrong, or the right answer. Jesus is indeed this long-awaited king that the Old Testament is pointing to, the one that is going to make all things right. He has come, come to establish God's forever kingdom, but far from meaning that he is coming at the host of this angelic army, that meant that Jesus was going to the cross. And that's exactly what Jesus says right after Peter's confession. Notice verses 31 and the first half of 32. And he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he, Jesus, said this plainly. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, yes, I am the long-awaited king, but far from slaughtering my enemies, I'm actually going to allow myself to be slaughtered for them. And that doesn't sit well with Peter. Because from his infancy, Peter has been raised to understand this idea that the Messiah, when he comes, the king, when he comes, he is going to be a conquering king. And so he actually tells Jesus as much 
And he began to teach, uh, excuse me, and he said this plainly, and, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting yourself, your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Don't miss the irony here. Peter, probably on this, this spiritual high of declaring that Jesus is the Christ and Jesus affirming that he is the Christ, presumes to tell Jesus what God's plan for Jesus is. One pastor puts it this way, Peter decides to tell Jesus what the Old Testament says about Jesus. And we have this really strong rebuke from Jesus He's not implying that Peter is possessed by Satan, but rather that, that Peter's words here, as someone who has his mind on the things of man, his words are the temptation that Satan has been leveling at Jesus throughout his entire life. But to be God's chosen king, you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to give your life up as a ransom for many. So when Jesus rebukes Peter here, he's saying, you're saying the exact same thing that Satan has tempted me with from the very beginning. You say that I can be the Christ without the cross, but I'm telling you, I cannot be the king unless I am crucified. That my greatest desire is to do my Father's will. And there's not a day that doesn't go by where I'm not thinking about, is there a way that I can avoid the cross, that I can get around this while still being faithful to my Father, and yet my commitment is to do my Father's will. And that's actually what we see from Jesus as he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's asking that this cup, that this, the cross would pass from him. And then he says, yet not my will, but yours be done. Words of, of Jesus' rebuke of, of Peter here are particularly powerful. When Jesus says, get behind me, he's, he's not saying, get away, or be gone, or, or leave me alone. No, get behind me is literal. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, hey, Peter... You're in front of me. You need to be behind me. I called you to, to follow me, not lead me. Don't presume to know what my Father's plan is for me. Don't presume to know God's will better than I do. Get behind me. Know your place. Are you the Christ or am I? And this warring that, that Jesus brings up in Peter... The things of man and the things of this world is really the context in which we have to read verses 34 through 38. This rivalry between self and Jesus. And Jesus' words are, are not just for church leaders or those who want to go the extra mile in their faith. He's no longer speaking to the disciples in 34 through 38. He's speaking to anyone who would follow me. Notice Jesus' words in verse 34. He says, if anyone would come after me. He's echoing the words that he just gave to Peter in the previous verse. Get behind me. So he's saying, if, if you would belong to Jesus, if you would follow this Jesus, 
then you have to be behind him. And that means that you have to follow him to the cross. This morning's text contains one of the, some of the most challenging verses in the entire Bible. Jesus, however, is completely unapologetic. He doesn't mince his words. He doesn't soften the blow. He doesn't create different levels of obedience. He says if anyone, anyone would come after him, if anyone would be his disciple, if anyone would, would consider themselves a Christian, then this is the calling. This is what following Jesus will cost you. This is what you have to look forward in life as a follower of Jesus. What is Jesus' message to the crowd? What is Jesus' message for us this morning? Simply this, if we would truly follow Jesus, we must follow him with a cross. If we would truly follow Jesus, we must follow him with a cross. If we would truly follow the king, then we must follow in his own footsteps, which includes carrying our own crosses. This passage breaks up up into to two sections in verse 34 Jesus gives us this charge of what it means to follow him and then in verses 35 through 38 Jesus gives us the why because it's completely natural to, to read this and, and ask why on earth would anyone follow Jesus if this is the path so let's go ahead and dive into this passage. First, we're going to look at verse 34, this charge, and then after that, we'll look at the why in 35 through 38. Verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I mentioned that this is not just uh, something that's, that's for a, a subset of, of Christians, for those who desire to be the, the spiritually elite, but this is for anyone who would follow Jesus. Notice that this is addressed to the crowds, and this is indiscriminate. He says, if anyone would, would come after me, and then he gives us this calling. Notice there's two halves to this charge. First is this, if anyone would follow Jesus, he must deny himself. If anyone would follow Jesus, he must deny himself. The Christian must echo the words of John the Baptist in John chapter 3, verse 30, where he says, He must increase, but I must decrease. So to follow Jesus is to deny yourself. And that doesn't mean this sort of, of emptiness or, or, or nothingness that some people might believe, but rather to understand that in denying ourselves, we actually are magnifying Jesus. We're making more of who Jesus is. Within each and every one of us, there is this war raging for the throne of our lives. Of who gets to be in charge. Of who gets to rule in our own lives. Writing in the 1700s, a Scottish pastor named Thomas Boston described the importance of Jesus' words here when he says this. Self is Christ's great rival in the world. No man can serve two masters. He must deny himself and go after Christ, or he will deny Christ and go after self. So Jesus' words here to, to deny ourselves 
Ask us, who are we going to deny? Are we going to deny self or are we going to deny Christ? Are we going to serve self or are we going to serve Christ? And as I hear these words, to deny self, I can't think of a message that is more at odds with our culture today. More at odds with the human heart than the call of the gospel. Our culture today, really inside the church as well as outside of the church, makes life all about me, all about my preferences, all about my wants, all about my desires. Today, the most important virtue in our culture is to be true to ourselves, to follow our own hearts. And each and every day, we are breathing in this culture that echoes the final words of the poem Invictus. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. For each and every one of us, the the default of our lives is to make ourselves the the center of the universe, that it's all about me, and the call of the gospel could not be more countercultural. That Jesus says that if anyone would follow us, we have to trade this counterfeit Lord of self for the true Lord Jesus. We can no longer say that life is all about me, but we have to say that life is all about him. J.B. Phillips, his translation hits at the core of what Christ is communicating to us here, what he's asking us to do when we deny self. He puts it this way, Then he called his disciples and the people around him and said to them, If anyone wants to follow in my footsteps, he must give up all right to himself, take up his cross, and follow me. To deny self is to deny or give up your rights to yourself. This is an absolutely shocking demand from Jesus here. It's it's shocking that Jesus would say, give your rights up for me. Jesus is saying, I want all of your wants, I want all of your desires, all of your habits, all of you, I want you to offer them up to me. That Jesus is the master of our fate. That Jesus is the captain of our soul. If we're going to follow Jesus, Jesus says that life can no longer be about me. It can no longer be about self. It must be about him. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Second charge in verse 34 is this. If anyone would follow after Jesus, she must take up her cross. She must take up her cross. Because of the prevalence of the cross in our culture today, I think some of the shock of this metaphor is often lost on us. To pick up one's cross is used by Christians and non-Christians alike to refer to the trivial nuisances of life. So we might say, my neighbors are nosy, but I really like my house, so that's just my cross to bear. Um, If you're one of my neighbors, um, that's theoretical. Seriously, it is theoretical. <laughs> or you say, I, I discovered that I have a gluten allergy or I'm lactose intolerant. I guess that's just my cross to bear. But the metaphor Jesus uses here is a graphic, it's a radical one. The cross in the first century was used by Romans to not only kill, but to publicly shame. To make you the object of scorn and shame and to do so in this slow and excruciatingly painful way. 
that those who were condemned to death on a cross would carry the horizontal cross beam to the site of their execution on their backs. And if you saw someone carrying their cross, then you know they were on their way to their death. That it wasn't something that you could come back from. So what does Jesus mean when he uses this horrifying word picture? Well, for some, yes, it, it again, might, might mean literal death, but, but most likely not for each of us. Far more than that, Jesus is saying that each of us must put self to death. Actually, we have to do that daily. Luke's parallel of this same passage makes that clear. And he, Jesus, said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So if you would follow Jesus, you must take up your cross, not just once, but daily. To carry one's cross is a requirement for any who would follow Jesus. To pick up your cross daily is to daily say goodbye to the old life. If you lived in the first century, you saw someone carrying their cross. You knew that you would never see them again. Their death warrant had already been signed. They were walking a road to their death. So to pick up your cross Daily means to take the old self, the self that wants to rule your life, the self that is opposed to the rule of Christ, the self that is, as Boston said, is Christ's greatest rival in the world, and to daily nail it to the cross, to crucify it, to never let it be seen again. Notice that Jesus is specific here as he's talking about the cross he says, pick up your cross. He doesn't just say a cross. What does that mean? I don't want to read too much into this, but I, I do think it, it means that, that our cross, my cross, is not the same thing as, as your cross. The areas of my life where I most resist the rule of, and reign of Christ, not the same areas of your life where you might resist the rule and reign of Christ. So as such, this idea, this pattern of, of crucifying self daily is going to look different for different people. That God's primary goal in your life is, is not a life of comfort, but a life of increasing Christ-likeness. It is for you to increasingly deny self so that Jesus can be magnified in your life. And so in, in God's efforts to make you more like Jesus, he's going to provide you with opportunities to put to death the part of your life that is most resistant to his lordship. So if you long to be self-sufficient, don't be surprised if God teaches you his sufficiency by putting you in positions and situations where you are unable to make it on your own. If you long for ease and for comfort, don't be surprised if God puts you in places where you have to learn what true contentment is by placing you in these vulnerable situations where you can only find comfort in Christ alone. It's actually what happens a couple chapters later in Mark's gospel. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus encounters this rich young man who is exceedingly moral. He's, he's earnest in his desire to honor God with his life. He keeps the, the Ten Commandments and he asks Jesus, how can I inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus responds in this way. 
Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I, I love it says that Jesus loved him. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Why is this a command for this young man, but it's not a command for everyone who would follow Jesus? I think it's because Jesus is saying that the one area of this man's life where he is most resistant to Christ's lordship is the area of his possessions. And so he has to nail that to the cross if he's going to follow Jesus. Jesus doesn't say to him, if you would follow me, I need you to stop sleeping around. He doesn't say, I need you to, to put others first. I need you to, to stop being so prideful and arrogant. He's, he's saying that the area of, of this man's life where he is most resistant to the rule and reign of Christ is in his, his love of money, and so he has to put that to death if he is going to follow Jesus. And Jesus says that if you would follow him, then you need to take up your cross. What is your cross? There are some areas of your life where it's not really a big struggle to follow Jesus in. It's a struggle, but it's not as big of a struggle as it is for other people. There are other areas of your life, however, where you most resist the rule of Christ, that you keep those areas hidden from other people so that you can remain at least partially on the throne of your life. And Jesus looks at those areas of your life and he says, if you would follow me, you have to nail that to the cross. So Jesus says, if anyone would follow me, you have to deny self and you have to pick up your cross. And after we read that, if you're anything like me, you're left thinking, who on earth would sign up for this? If, this? if these are the terms and conditions, who on earth would follow after Jesus? And why should we do that? And that's what the rest of this passage is about. Jesus gives us two simple and yet very powerful reasons why following him to the cross is worth it. Why should you follow Jesus to the cross? First is because your life is worth more than the world. Your life is worth more than the world. Consider verses 35 through 37. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? So Jesus has said that if you're going to follow me, you have to follow me to the cross. And to follow Jesus is to deny yourself. It's, it's to submit to Jesus as the rightful king of your life. To follow Jesus is to pick up your cross each day, putting off the old self, especially in the areas of your life where you are most resistant to his lordship. And on the cross, you have to say goodbye to those things. I'll never see them again. And here he says, why? Because if you don't do that, 
If you don't deny self, but instead you decide to worship it. If you don't crucify the old self, but give into it, and you're ruled by it, Jesus says, you will lose everything. You're going to lose everything. Just consider for a moment what your soul's, your heart's greatest longing is. I'm not talking about the new self. I'm talking about the, the old self, the self that Jesus tells you to crucify, like your, your sinful desires. What's your heart's deepest longing? For some of us, it's, it's like the rich young man. We just want to accumulate more and more and more. We get drunk on the thought of more and more money, more and more possessions that are mine. They're stored up for me. Our hearts are never satisfied. No matter how much we might accumulate, we're always crying out, I want more. For others, it's notoriety. We want people to know who we are. We want to be the type of person that people are always thinking of, and they're always thinking of in the right way, in a good way. We don't, it doesn't matter if we're in a room of five or 5,000. We want to be the center of attention. For others of us, it's ease. That we live for moments where we can just sit in front of the television, in front of the computer, or with a, a good book, and we can just escape the thoughts of this world cares of this world, the end goal of all of life, every moment that we live for is so that we can get to the point where we can finally relax. What's your heart's greatest longing? Is it to provide better life for your family? Is it for power? Is it to be known for being a good person? Is it something different? Now imagine that you actually achieve your heart's greatest desire in its fullness, whatever it might be. For the person who craves notoriety, you become the most highly respected person in the entire world. Seven billion people know who you are, respect you. Every single person in the world loves you. For the person who craves ease, you no longer have a single care in the world. People exist to serve you and your every whim. If it's power, every single structure, institution in the world is, is ordered and, and designed the exact way that you want it to be. Finances. Uh, the wealth of Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, you name it. All of it's yours. In each of these situations, you've gained the entire world. You've denied your soul nothing that it craves. And yet Jesus says that if you have all of that at the expense of your soul, you have lost everything. You have lost everything everything. Why should you follow Jesus with your cross? Because your life matters. It is infinitely precious in the sight of God. If there was a cosmic scale that weighed, weighed the values of the, all of the riches of the world on one side and your soul, your, your life on the other, your life is worth more than all of that. It cannot compare. 
And that's not just true uh, of each person here, but every single person who has ever lived, who will ever live, that their soul is worth more than all of the riches in the world. And as Jesus says in verse 37, there's no one, no thing that can ransom, that you can exchange for your soul. So why should I deny myself? Why should I follow Jesus with my cross? As paradoxical as it may sound, it's because your life is worth more than anything else in the world. And so if you're going to save it, you have to carry your cross. Second reason why we follow Jesus with our cross is not only because your life is worth more than the entire world, but because Jesus is worth more than your life. So your life is worth more than the world, but Jesus is is worth more than than your life. Consider the words of verses 35 and 38. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus' claim here is, is astounding, that, that your life might be worth the all, more than all the, the riches of the world, but I'm worth more than your life. It's not apparent in, in your English translations, but if, if you look at the footnotes, you probably have footnotes in your Bible that this word life and this word soul are the same words. So Jesus is making this word play here. It's a comparison. He's saying, your life is worth more than the world, but my life, or I am worth more than your life. If you hear the, the first part about your life being of greater value than the entire world, but don't catch the truth that Jesus is worth more than your life, then you're going to spend your entire life trying to save or spend your life on yourself. If your life is the most precious thing that you possess, then, and there's no greater truth than that, then you're going to do all that you can to cherish it, and to use it on yourself. And this is going to look one of two ways. On the one hand, you can spend your entire life trying to preserve your life. It's the most precious gift that you have. You're going to do whatever you can to protect it from harm. You're going to do whatever you can to avoid loss, to avoid injury. You're going to save your life through this form of paranoia, this form of anxiety, doing everything you possibly can to save the thing that's most important to you. Or you're going to do everything that you possibly can to, to use your life for yourself. If it's, if it's meaningless, if you only got one life, you're going to use it to the fullest for yourself. You're going to deny yourself no pleasure. You're going to deny yourself no experience, no desire. You're going to spend your life, but it's going to be completely and utterly on yourself. And that way you're Attempting to save your life, but only to spend it on yourself. And Jesus says, if you do that, you lose. Your life is so valuable that it must be saved, yes. But the only way to truly save it is by laying it down at the cross. Your life is so valuable that it must be spent, yet, but it, yes, but it is not to be spent on yourself but on the one who is of greater value than your entire life. This is what it means to take up your cross and to follow Jesus. 
to say, I'm going to follow Jesus because my soul is so precious that I must save it. And the way that I save it is by giving it up for the one who is even more valuable. If you would truly follow Jesus, you must follow him with a cross. We follow Jesus with a, a cross because our lives are worth more than the entire world. And we follow Jesus with a cross because he is worth more than our very lives. And I look at my life. Shoot, I, I look at the last week. And I can think of hundreds of ways that I stubbornly refuse to deny myself. Stubbornly refuse to cede the throne of my life to its rightful king. And think of ways where I don't pick up my cross. Don't follow him. Don't consider him of more value than myself or even than the world. Maybe you find in yourself something similar. What hope do rebellious, reluctant sinners like me, like you have. The answer is found in verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. How do we pick up our cross and follow Jesus? It's by looking to the one who's on the cross. Not primarily as an example, although that's true, but as our crucified king. As the one who was perfectly obedient. And so there is mercy for those of us who are disobedient. Because Jesus denied himself, God offers forgiveness to us when we do not deny ourselves. Because Jesus took up and carried his cross, we find grace when we flee from ours. To come after Jesus means that you pick up your cross, yes, but it starts by looking at Jesus on the cross and calling upon the name of the one who can save you. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. If we would truly follow him with a cross, if we would truly follow Jesus, we must make this commitment. Why? Because he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. For whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we thank you for the mystery of the Gospel. That you came as a suffering servant to save people like me. 
Thank you, Lord. God, I ask that you would help each and every one of us through your spirit to truly know what it means and what it looks like for us to follow you, to deny self. And Jesus, if we have not looked to you, if we have not called upon your name for salvation, God, I ask that you would help us to, to take that step of faith. And to say, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Help us, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.